Hello and welcome to the Superposition Guys podcast. My name is Yuval, and my guest today is Andre Dragomir, CEO of Aquark Technologies. His company, emerging from the University of Southampton, focuses on miniaturizing quantum devices, particularly for sensing applications, aiming to transform room-sized quantum systems into mobile phone-sized units. Aquark is also part of NATO's Diana Accelerator and is a pioneer in enhancing the practicality and robustness of quantum sensors. Andre highlights their recent airborne experiment, describes what keeps him up at night, and much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, Andre, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So who are you and what do you do? Wow. Um, so I'm, I'm Andre Dragomir. I'm the co-founder and uh, CEO of Aquar Technologies. We are a small startup from a University of Southampton, a spin-off from University of Southampton in the South of the UK. Um, and we focus on improving the size, weight, power, and cost of quantum devices based on cold mat- the cold metal platform or neutral atoms platform uh, in order to accelerate their development and overall their market adoption. And cold atoms, neutral atoms could be used for computing, could be used for sensing. Do you focus on one particular area? That's a that's a great question. Um, what what we're building as a as a platform? So our focus is on the on the on the cold matter platform itself in terms of improving swap C. Um, but we we see our technology eventually reaching computing and communications as well. Uh, but we feel like sensing is is here. We feel like uh, potentially computing has other problems than size, weight, power, and cost to solve before uh, that sort of thing becomes becomes relevant. And you're part of an accelerator, right? Maybe the Diana accelerator, is that correct? Yes, is uh, one, of, one of our latest uh, latest of achievements, latest announcements. Um, uh, I'm guessing uh, now in the old geopolitical situation in the world, NATO is focusing more on innovative technologies. And as part of that, that focus, they put together the NATO Diana accelerator. Um, and we've, we're has been uh, announced that we've been awarded to be part of the first cohort um, of this uh, accelerator. And um, yeah, it's, it's a huge honor and recognition of what, what our company is trying to achieve. Congratulations. Thank you. Why do these systems need to be smaller and, and cheaper? I mean, if I put a quantum computer, if the room needs to be just a little bit bigger, so what? You know, why, why do we need to make them smaller and cheaper? Yeah, brilliant. Um, well, particularly in terms of in terms of sensing, that the technology, the the cold atom or neutral atom technology, has been around for for quite a long time. I think thirty plus years at this stage, and um, we know it works very well in terms of using atoms to as a ruler to measure different environmental parameters, as such as uh, time, gravity, rotation, acceleration, uh, and they work very very well in laboratory environments and. Even in today's world, uh, you know, atomic clocks, for example, which is a very, uh, it's a very good application of uh, neutral atom and cold atom technology. They underline our use of uh, GPS and GNSS. So, you know, our, our Google Maps or Apple Maps uh, kind of rely on quantum technology already. Uh, but it's hidden away. It's hidden away in a lab and uh, it, it's distributed wirelessly throughout the world. 
And the question is now, how can we make that even more beneficial? What, we, what if we can bring that technology outside of the hidden room and take it out in the world and, and actually be able to use it? And um, one big thing around this is uh, the, the current size, weight, and power that these devices require together with the uh, long-time uh, requirement of learning about those systems to be able to use them, to maintain them. Um, so we believe it is the next step in the in the in the technology phase to step outside of the lab, and we are our goal as a company is to really hide the magic behind the button. People that that overall are going to benefit from from this technology, they don't really need to know that it's it's quantum based. Uh, they just need to uh, kind of benefit from what it can can offer. So. Uh, hiding, hiding, removing quantum from quantum is is what we're we're trying to achieve, and uh, miniaturizing this technology is the first big step towards that. Uh, and I'm assuming, in terms of computing as well, um, in the future, I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of cloud-based platforms. But maybe someone wants to have uh, have a quantum computer locally. So when we're when that's going to be ready to to reach the those type of markets then hopefully we're going to be ready with the miniaturization solutions as well to make that happen so let's talk about sensing for a second how small is small so what is the goal if i have say an airborne or a, a vehicle carried sensor how small would you like it to be how much power would it require a very very good question and i'm guessing it depends a lot on the sensor itself and on the application but today's systems just as a as a core default system generally occupy entire rooms um at the level of miniaturization we're seeing starting to emerge in different commercial application it's still quite large systems about the size of a washing machine or the size of a fridge uh, we're trying to, as a first step, push this a bit forward. And what we've created now in the company as what we call a minimal viable product for us uh, or, or a prototype is something the size of a shoebox. It's uh, more or less uh, the size of a network rack, a, a box the size of a 19-inch network rack that contains everything required to generate a cold atom cloud. And um, that requires about... 50 watts of power at this point in time, if I'm not mistaken, and weights uh, about uh, just less than 10 kilograms. So that in itself already uh, could be suitable for different level of applications. So if you want to, uh, uh, you know, install an atomic clock on a, on a boat or on a lorry or something similar, that would be perfectly suitable. Um, but that's not where we see the technology really shining. We really want to push this to the size of a mobile phone today or a hard drive or something similar. Um, and that will allow us to not only expand the applications where this technology, that they, this technology can reach, but also enable mass production around. And I think that is the key word that this technology needs because with mass production, um, you're also, as a company, gonna be able to reduce the cost of it. And the reducing the cost is gonna be a huge drive in terms of accessibility and taking this technology to, to the wider world and larger markets. You mentioned applications such as gravitometer or uh, acceleration meter or atomic clock. Um, putting a, the atomic clock aside, there are non-quantum sensors that, that do this, and I'm guessing they're much, much smaller. So what, 
how much better are the quantum sensors going to be to justify that additional maybe cost, space, and power consumption? It's interesting because performance is not only the, the only metric that uh, surrounds this, this technology. Um, the, the key towards neutral atoms and cold atoms is that they're always the same no matter where you are in the universe. So devices built on this type of platform would not necessarily require calibration. Uh, and overall, beyond that, they will be able to, co to continue to perform a continuous measurement uh, whilst not drifting too much from their, their initial status. So the quality of the data that you get through is going to be much higher than what existing systems uh, allow today. So, for example, in terms of, of gravimeters, uh, there are some technologies out there that in terms of just brute performance uh, would be uh, very close to what quantum technology offers. Um, but in terms of uh, drift and in terms of uh, creating something very useful with it, uh, cold atoms will will end up being being the winner. So, if we want to enable long term monitoring, for example, uh, current technology is is unfortunately not the way to do that. We need something new, and that's where uh, quantum will will step in. I read someplace that you had an airborne experiment recently. Could you did I read correctly? And if so, could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. It's, it's one of the most exciting developments we've done in the past couple of years since the company existed. For us, first and foremost, we wanted to show that the platform that we're working with is, um, is suitable for being taken outside of the lab. And uh, we created our, our first system of this shoe, of this first shoebox size system. And um, uh, we like to learn by breaking things. And we thought of the most exciting way to actually break the system to learn from it so we can build it better again. Um, and we had this opportunity to install uh, this, uh, this system on a, on a prototype drone together with a defense company and to just simply fly it around. And this happened in November last year, so just, just over a year ago, um, in the fields of Somerset here in UK at uh, zero degrees Celsius and over 80% humidity. Um, I'm happy to say that was a fun day for the entire team. Uh, just spending that that day in, in the in the in the cold field, um, but to our surprise and to our happiness, our system performed absolutely admi admirably. Um, it effectively did not care that is is attached to a tiny helicopter made out of wood and 3D printed parts, um, so it wasn't a fancy drone by any extent. Um, but just good enough to, to carry the cold atom system uh, and perform some quite quite aggressive maneuvers in in that sense, uh, and it it just simply worked. Um, we we couldn't find any fault. So uh, in in that system, we we decided to to take it to the next level, and actually we concluded our trial experiments for the day through uh, dropping the atoms out of the sky. So. We took the, the drone up with the cold atom system at about 120 meters uh, altitude, and we cut the engines off. And we left it fall in free space. And the first three times we've done this, it worked brilliantly. The drone recovered, and and um, and the cold atom system was still was still active after that entire fall. Uh, last time we've done it, uh, that the the drone did not successfully recover, and the entire system crashed into the ground, suffering over 17 G of an impact, according to the data we've collected there. 
and we're very happy to say that it was almost no damage inside of, of the system, which when, when, you know, you start from, from working of a, with a system in a lab that it's sometimes enough to see sneeze in the wrong direction and you, you lose your experiment, being able to take it in the field and fly it around and drop it from the sky and still working, it's, it's quite a big achievement that uh, now allowed us to move to the next phase of the company, which is applying this platform to different sensing applications. How heavy was that system and what did it measure in flight? The system was about uh, 9.6 kilograms. So the, the weight restrictions on flying a 20 kilogram drones here in UK is a, a maximum before you require a license. And with the drone uh, weighing about 10 kilograms in itself, we couldn't have our system weigh any anything more than that. Um, so the entire box was 9.6 kilograms, out of which 3.5 is just the box itself. So the internals are much more... Uh, uh, they they weigh much much less, and um, it together with we effectively monitor the consistency of the cold atom cloud and how it behaves in flight, together with the atom number that the cloud produces, which is a, an important factor in creating sensing applications from it. We also monitor then uh, we have the conventional gyroscope, a whole probe for uh, measuring magnetic fields, kind of. With conventional sensors, we've uh, mapped out the environment and then linked that our cold atom behavior, cold atom cloud behavior, uh, to that environment to see what is the weakest point of it. So, did the cold atom environment also perform measurements, or was it more uh, internal telemetry and seeing how it behaves in various conditions? It, it was the internal telemetry in itself that was a, a huge challenge, just maintaining a cold atom cloud, the generation of cold matter in flight in such a harsh environment. So we we concluded our, our, our system is challenged enough at that point. So we didn't actually perform any measurements directly with it. Uh, but despite that, uh, looking at the data, it served as a very good uh, magnetic sensor, even just monitoring the, um, the, the, the atom number and the fluorescence that comes out of the cloud you can directly map that to the Earth's magnetic field and its position relative to the flight pattern of, of the drone. And in that system, particularly, we didn't have any magnetic shielding. We didn't protect it in any way. We simply want to learn how it behaves as uh, basic as possible so we can learn from that. And uh, we, we can we can directly measure the, the Earth's magnetic, uh, magnetic field from it. I think cold atom systems require a vacuum. And if you are on a drone, you may not have constant power supply, uh, unlike a, an office. How long does it take for the system to be ready to perform in terms of vacuum or, or other aspects? The vacuum angle is a, it's a very interesting one for us because it goes back to our core uh, technical advantages that, that we have. Uh, the, the research group from which we span out of the Integrated Atom Chip Group at Southampton had as a main goal the miniaturizational vacuum system. And it was we have over 12 years of experience now that has been uh, ported into, into the company to allow us to build very robust, very small, vacuum systems and uh, that goes a long way in terms of having having a, a portable cold atom generation platform uh, as vacuum it is it is one of the essential pieces of, of that puzzle 
And uh, for us, we actually adopted some some of the technology that's been developed at CERN in the 90s. So uh, while CERN developed uh, what they call fin film getters or getter film technologies to maintain an ultra-high vacuum environment in the Large Hadron Collider, uh, we kind of started from there and then uh, redressed the technology to suit the other spectrum of vacuum, which is very, very, very small systems. And uh, we've got pretty good at it. So uh, actually, our vacuum is, is constantly on. It's almost to the level of being passive at this point in time, which is one of our goals as a company in the future, to create a completely passive vacuum system that will not require any type of uh, active pumping behind it. And um, it requires, because we can make them so efficient, it requires very little power. So actually, running on a uh, drone battery, the system can survive, the, the vacuum system can survive for, for days behind that. That, that is not the, the main problem. Uh, the biggest problem came out actually from the uh, conventional sensors and computers required to interface with it. So in the box, we actually have a small Windows 10 computer. And I think that is actually our biggest uh, power consumer. So based on uh, uh, just a drone battery that was installed in the system, uh, the system can survive for up to three, four hours uh, at this point in time. Uh, and it can be ready to go in about 10 minutes from having nothing on to generating cold matter. If you open that shoe box, and I think you mentioned 19 inch size, so it's a pretty large shoes. But if, if you open that shoe box, what is the part that needs to be, what's the biggest part? What needs to be really miniaturized so you get more into the hard drive size sensor? That's a very, very good question. And if we were to open the, the box, you will notice the first thing is that it's mostly empty at this point in time. Um, that what determined the, the size of the box was really uh, end user requirements, first and foremost, and then uh, our way of just uh, putting together the puzzle, so to speak. So we've, uh, we've only used available off-the-shelf components for this system, for this particular system. Um, so there's a lot of electronics inside that otherwise would not be needed if we are to focus on a custom electronic solution, for example. So just by doing that, the system size is reduced to uh, at least half. Uh, the next after it would be the, the vacuum component. And for that, we're using some medium-sized systems at this point in time, not necessarily the smallest we can build because we focus on robustness more than anything else. And uh, having a slightly larger system simply allowed us to look inside and better understand what is happening uh, with with the cold atom cloud during the flight. And um, then is the light delivery system. So for us, uh, addressing these three components uh, would essentially bring us to the to the size we want to be at to to a hard drive size. So uh, the electronics offer uh, making some custom uh, custom solutions for that the vacuum system, and then the light delivery for either the adoption of tonic integrated circuits or micro-tips assembly, um, then that will bring us to the to the hard drive size we are, we're envisioning. It sounds like a scary proposition to take a prototype, put it on a drone, cut the engine off, and and cross the fingers that it survives. But uh, congratulations on, on pulling that off. Um, tell me a little bit about the company. How large are you? How are you funded? Uh, anything that you can share? Absolutely, uh, and and thank you. Uh, it it was an interesting endeavor, but as I mentioned before, we like breaking things, so uh, we're we're going to continue on on doing this, this type of stuff. Um, the company was created in uh, in 
2021, uh, actually on the 16th of May, we received our, our first uh, investment. Um, we are supported now by an incredible group of uh, angel investors that are also acting as our mentors. Uh, both founders, both myself and, and Alex, my co-founder, come from a scientific background. So we had to change uh, our, our core and our way of viewing the world to uh, to take on uh, a leadership position in, in the company and actually make it happen. Um, and uh, since then, we've been running for a long, long time in, in, in with a team of four. So kind of the, the flight experiment and all that was done with a very small team. Uh, and just recently, in the last couple of months, we've now increased to a team of 10 full-time employees and a much larger family in terms of uh, part-time engagements and other contractors that are helping uh, deliver our, our vision overall. So uh, it's, it's growing fast. Uh, it, it's quite an adventure. And um, yeah, we we're still learning as well in the process ourselves as as founders. From the Diana Accelerator, is it just money, or do you feel that you're getting additional value? Actually, I think uh, the money it's the very the, the least interesting part from that. It does come with a bit of uh, I think it's a, a hundred thousand euro ticket to support in our development. But the, the network and the Diana team has been absolutely incredible and on top of organizing it uh, together with the, the mentors that we get for the program and to the exposure to the defense world, which obviously it's a big early adopter of this type of technology, uh, it's going to benefit us a, a big deal in, in the long term. Um, so actually, we're really looking forward to, to having the, uh, the, uh, the accelerator starting on the, on the 1st of January. And I think the benefits for us coming out of that are going to be absolutely incredible. As the leader of the company, professionally speaking, what keeps you up at night? Uh, well, besides the huge amount of work, <laughs> it's um, uh, it's it's a lot actually. It's, it's difficult to pick, uh, but generally making sure that our team and that the company has a chance to try and innovate as most as possible and deliver this the system to to a to a first market is probably the the biggest concern like seeing this technology out of the lab is is the big win that i personally want to get out of it and uh, that that is generally what keeps me up at night and last uh, hypothetical if you could have dinner with one of the quantum greats dead or alive who would that be that's a that's a tough one um now, in, in terms of people alive, uh, the community is quite small, so we actually get to almost meet everyone uh, besides it. So I'm, I'm going to turn it a bit and say I would really want to sit down and have dinner with um, not a quantum great, but potentially someone that has been in, for example, in uh, NASA as part of the Apollo missions uh, on the ground and seeing that happen. I think that story, it's a quite an inspirational story that uh, I've been taking as much as I can from in, in trying to uh, imprint our vision. And just the example of, for example, in terms of computing, the trend up until we tried to put the man on the moon was who has the biggest computer. But to actually deliver that, that feat of, of getting to the moon was then a question of how do we make it the computer small enough to fit in a, in a, in a spaceship. So, um that 
that turning that created a turn point for how technology was viewed and it eventually resulted with us walking around with smartphones so dragging that analogy to what we're trying to do today is, is definitely not landing a man on the moon but we're very excited about what this technology can offer in terms of applications that haven't yet been thought of so we we can we can use it as sensors we can use it as for computing but really in 10, 15 year times, who knows what this technology can offer to us and miniaturizing it and, and putting it out in the world is, is what's going to bring us there. So we're, we're very excited to, to see that. And um, I think I, having lunch with, having dinner with someone from that, that leaves that, that had that experience in those days, I think would, uh, would be extremely beneficial to us. I'm going to have a lot to learn from. I, I do love the lunar lander analogy because I think their computer had 70 kilobytes of uh, program memory. And when we speak today about small quantum computers and what you could do with them, we say, well, you know, a man landed on the moon and got back with 70 kilobytes. So you can do a lot with a little if you're motivated enough. Andre, exactly. thank you so much for uh, being uh, here today and, and sharing your story. Thank you very much for having me. It was absolutely amazing. Thank you.